be reading from verses 14 through 19 this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rich, come up. I'm going to pray for you and for us this morning. God, we're grateful to you have your word. You call us to meditate on it. You call us to think upon it day and night. And you say those who follow it are blessed. So bless us this morning as we think on your word, as we take notes, as we um, seek to understand what you're calling us to know, to believe, and how that should affect our lives. Preach, us, preach your word to us through Rich this morning, we pray. Amen. And have a seat. I feel like a lot of my sermons start with once upon a time or a long time ago, back when I was younger, um, because I'm old, uh, I'm getting older. Um, but, and there's times that I'm like, there's people here who might not remember um, the way things were back in the day. But once upon a time, summer television um, used to be really boring um, because all that summer television was was repeats of the same shows that you'd already watched throughout, uh, throughout the year. Um, so it's just like the same episodes over. And if it was a good show that you liked, oh, well, okay, I'd watch that again. But really, you didn't. And I see some people nodding. Then you're all sold. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, it just you didn't. And, and to be honest, it didn't matter because we just, you know we went outside. We were doing stuff. People just didn't watch TV in the summer was the idea. So they didn't. TV networks didn't bother to put anything on. Um, these days, that's different. These days, there's a lot of shows that come on like only in the summer, and there are big hits that like are summer, and everybody's like, this is must, I have to watch this, this is great. One of those shows that has become really a huge show um, over, and I found out that the show was eight years old, just kind of blew me away, because I thought it had been on like three or four years. Have you ever seen a show, I'm, and I'm guessing some of you had, called American Ninja Warrior? I see some nodding, okay. American Ninja Warrior. Um, it's based on an older Japanese show, and it's basically um, these really, really ripped guys and, and women um, try to do these, like, super impossible obstacle courses. Uh, and and uh, there's, like, four obstacle courses. And, and to put that in perspective, the show has been on for eight years. For the first six, nobody actually finished the show. Nobody could finish any of the four courses. And then finally last year... There was a guy, there were actually two guys who finished it, and, and one guy was finally the first ever American Ninja Warrior. Um, and you see these guys, they're just like amazing athletes. They spend months, even years, training for the opportunity to be on this show. They build special workout equipments to, to, to like make the same things that these obstacle courses have, like these poles that you literally have to like jump without your feet but like jump the pole up and like move it forward with all your weight and you've got to spin down on things that are designed to throw. It's, it, it, it's crazy what they do. And you look at it and you're like, well, so I couldn't do the first one, let alone any, but it's just, um, they even, they're, they're now even like ninja warrior gyms 
that you can join to like train for, um, for these type of activities. And, and these people do train. They get crazy strong. It's, it really is impressive to watch what they do. Um, uh, you know, just, just the, the tremendous feats of uh, strength being done. Um, but here's the thing. All of this training that they do for this specific event, um, the very, very best that this really strong person can do is to win American Ninja Warrior, the very best. And you, and you look at it, and you say, well, it's been on for eight years, and like two guys have ever finished it. Uh, it's like a super impossible task. So, so take all the people who train and try to get on the show, and then you have a smaller thing of people who actually make the show and then like fail in like the first 35 seconds because it's that hard. And it's literally, and you have like, n- like very few people can do it. And basically, that's all, I mean, you're going to be strong and you can do other athletic things, but this is really the one skill that you can do is to win American Ninja Warrior. Um, there is an American Ninja Warrior. Does anybody know the name of the American Ninja Warrior? Like the last year's champion. No. What? <laughs> no. Um, uh, his name is Isaac Caldero. Do you know how I know that? Because I looked it up on the internet. Because I had no idea. Because unless you're like a super big fan of this, ve- you know, it's a, it's a very popular show, but still only reaches a really small portion of the world. Um, and to be honest, he, he got to be on TV and he got a million dollars. That's pretty good. I mean, that's you know, if, if you're going to give yourself to that, that works. It's, it, it's, pretty, it's a pretty great thing to do. Um, so that's, that's this newfangled cool sporting event that you train and you work hard for. Let's talk about another sporting event that people, featuring people who've done a lot of strength training to compete in. Has anyone ever heard of the Super Bowl? I'm going to take that as a yes. Um, have you ever heard of a team that has either played in or actually won the Super Bowl? I haven't seen people nodding. Does anybody know who actually won the last Super Bowl? You can shout it out. It's okay. It's the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we generally have an idea of this thing. Um, like American Ninja Warrior, the people who compete in this Super Bowl spend years training to reach that milestone. Um, but there is at least one big difference. There, there's more differences than this, but there, there's at least this one big difference. The players competing to win the Super Bowl are all training themselves um, but not to win for themselves, but to be a part of a group of people striving for a joint goal. And even though individual uh, performances are recognized and, 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 and rewarded, the winners of Super Bowls are the entire team. And also, unlike American Ninja Warrior, everybody knows who wins the Super Bowl. Everybody watches the Super Bowl. We have parties to, to, watch, to, to watch Super Bowl. Um, we, you know, they sell commercials. At, at, like, a, like 30 seconds of time to have your commercial on the Super Bowl is more than the American Ninja Warrior one. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tremendously big. And they, they, build, they have a building called the Hall of Fame that is always going to memorialize the fact that, that this team of football players won the, won the Super Bowl. Um, their team will always be remembered as Super Bowl champion. Unlike American Ninja Warrior, it's a thing that, that, that actually goes down history. It's 50 years later, and I still know, and, and many, many people still know, that the Green Bay Packers won the very first Super Bowl. Um, the impact that this group of men training and strengthening together to achieve the goal far, far outpaced the impact of this one person training for this feat of strength. It is true that God saves people, individual people. Um, each of us who is trusted in, in, in Christ is his child. 
Uh, and that's amazing, and we should, um, we should delight in that. We should cherish that, and we should live individual lives um, to God's glory from that. That's, that's a great thing, a wonderful thing that God has individually made as his people. But our individual Christian lives are not our whole identity. It's, it's not what we were saved for. Um, we weren't saved for just ourselves. Instead, God calls us to come together, to be one, so that our individual impact for his glory will be far greater than anything that we can do um, by ourselves. And like a football team trying to win the Super Bowl, as a church, we need to be made stronger. We need, to, we, we need strength so that the impact he has called us to make, not only in our own lives, but in each other's lives, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and on our world, will be far greater than anything we can achieve on our own. Uh, today's passage that we look at is a prayer. Paul is giving a prayer for the um, church in Ephesus, and he is asking God to strengthen them so that they would come together as one in power and in faith and in love so that they could become the very presence of Christ on earth. And that same prayer, the things that, that Paul asked for the church of Ephesus are true for us. We, the church of Jesus Christ, are strengthened by God so we can live as one in Jesus. We, the church, are strengthened by God so we can live as one in Jesus. All right. First thing we're going to look at is this very first statement, we. Very first word, we. Um, it is the church that is strengthened. So when we look at, uh, at this passage, the first thing we learn is that it's the church um, that is strengthened. Um, when we look at the very first verse of this passage, verse 14, we see, the, we see three words, for this reason. Actually, Tony talked about uh, these words for this reason because Paul actually said the same words in verse 1. And then he got two words into his explanation, and he said, wait a second, got to talk about something else now. I'm going to talk about why I went to prison and, and how God's working through that. And then he goes on for, you know, what we look at as 13 verses and never actually finish the statement. Um, he goes back. He's like, no, I really meant I wanted to talk about it. I didn't just forget. Let me get back to it. So um, his for this reason is picking up his thought from back in the very first chapter. And when you see a word or phrase like for this reason in the Bible— Paul is making a transition. He's, he's already said something, and then he wants to say, because of all this stuff I said, I'm going to say this, or I'm going to do this, or we're going to do this. So whenever you see, for this reason, or another word that he uses often is therefore, um, you want to go back and see what he's talking about. And so if we look back before where he started this for this reason, back through, when we go back into chapter 2, and we see the story that chapter 2 tells um, the reason that Paul is, is, is offering this prayer for the church of Ephesus. Uh, chapter 2 tells the story of sinners being brought to God by Christ's blood, um, by his sacrifice on the cross, to take his punishment for our sins, um, the punishment that we deserved, and thus reconciling us to God. So it starts with that story. Um, but then it talks about, then Paul talks about how through that, um, God is making all of his children one by tearing down the walls which separate them. Now, in Paul's context, in Church of Ephesus, um, the, wall that, the, the wall that existed that time was a wall between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And literally, in Jerusalem, there was a wall. There was, there, in the temple, there were different courts, and actually, the Gentiles could only go so far, and then the Jews could go farther, and there's literally walls of separation. But it wasn't just that literal wall. There were cultural walls of separation. Um, there were 
um, you, you just didn't, Jews and Gentiles did not regard themselves as the same, did not, did not and, and Paul um, has spent chapter 2 talking about how in Christ those walls come down. We have walls. Uh, we us. For us, we have walls of class and race, uh, uh, walls based on age. You know, we, we like to associate with people who have had the same life experiences. Um, we have walls based on income, um, based on our upbringings, how we were raised, things we learned. Um, we have walls based on our politics. We have walls based on our opinions on just about everything um, that you can find in this world. All those things build walls um, that, that separate us from others. What, what, what Jesus does is, is tries to remove those walls, actually removes those walls, and takes all these different kind of people who have all these different thoughts and all these different feelings and all these different backgrounds and make them into um, what he calls members of one household or even uses a, a different metaphor of a structure being joined together to be the place where God dwells with his people. Now, Paul is referencing that temple, that temple where the wall separated Jews and Gentiles. He says, no, that's, that's not where God dwells anymore. That's not where the presence is. Where God dwells and where he is is amongst his people. We are now become, um, become the building, the dwelling place of God. That is the church. That is who he calls us to be. We are literally bricks we're literally the bricks that God uses um, for his kingdom, for um, where he dwells. First Peter 2, um, verses 4 through 5, um, tells us that we are living stones. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house um, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we are literally where God dwells on earth. We are literally um, his temple. And this is why he prays for strength for the church. You build a building because you want it to be strong. You build walls so that they will be strong, so they, that they will support things, so that they will keep out elements, so that they um, will serve the purpose that they're built for. Um, because the church is how God dwells on earth, he wants his dwelling um, to be strong. Um, the church is literally the temple, the body of Christ, how God um, it lives among us. It's how we experience him. It's how we reveal him, uh, him to our neighbors, our colleagues, and our city. Um, because uh, Jesus even gives us an example in his parables. He talks about a house built on rock, and it can withstand storms. It can withstand struggle. It can withstand um, sin and flesh, and temptations. It can withstand relational troubles, problems that we have with other people. It can withstand cultural challenges from a world um, less interested in the idea of God at all. We sang this morning, the countries and chaos, the world is a mess. Uh, and, and, and more and more, um, we, we, we find a, a people less inclined than God for others. These are challenges that, that press on us and face us and a reason that we need strength. It is the church that God is strengthening. So, so the very first thing Paul talks about is, is the we. The, the we are strengthened um, uh, is the first part of this prayer. Now we move on to the next part of his prayer. Um, first we see it's this church that is strengthened. We see next that it is God the Father who strengthens. So we have a church that needs strengthening. Where does it get the strength? It gets the strength from the Father. Verses 14 through 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's prayer recognizes that it is God who is able to give the church the power it needs um, to do this thing, this thing that seems like it's impossible. And we've, you know, we've been living like the last two, three weeks in a world that's just like the idea of unity, of different people coming together, of living together in peace, that really just seems impossible. Um, and, and in earthly wisdom and with earthly messages, yeah, it is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. God can take, has the power to give the church the strength to take a bunch of people whose differences are apparent and whose differences are deep and make them into one, one strong body. Paul knows that God can and does give us that strength. How does he know that? First of all, Paul tells us that he is great. He tells us that God is great. He is perfectly unlike us. He is perfectly holy. God is perfectly sinless. He is perfectly whole and complete. He needs nothing. Um, there is nothing because he is perfectly great and whole and holy. He is he, there's nothing that is better than God. There's nothing that is better than God. He is the greatest thing that, we can, that, that can be. And we see this here. Um, Paul's confession of God's holiness, of his greatness, is when he bows on his knees before the Father. Now, we think, well, he's praying, so he'll get on his knees before the Father. Actually, at the time, um, among, you know, and Paul's a Jew, so among the Jewish people, that bowing on your knees, getting down on your knees to pray, wasn't commonly how people would pray. Instead, they would pray standing up, kind of with their hands out before them, kind of with their head uplifted, and that would be the common prayer posture of the day. And this is, this is Paul doing something different. Now we, now we think of, well, he's kneeling because he's praying, but um, really the act of kneeling communicated something, um, something else. It, it, it communicated a sense of humility, a sense of awe, um, of respect. Um, a word that we use in church that really reflects what Paul is doing here is worship. Um, he, Paul is showing God how much greater God is than Paul, how much wor more worthy um, uh, than, uh, that God is than he is. In fact, that's where the, the word the worship comes from, uh, a, a, a phrase called worth-ship, uh, kind of the, the original word was like, it's showing how much something is worth. We worship that which has worth, worthship. And so Paul is, just, Paul is just giving this act of worship, an act of worship that comes from humility, a deep recognition of how much greater um, God is. It pleases God when those whom he loves, when those whom he has saved, show God how great he is and how much we treasure him through our humble worship of him. James uh, chapter 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God loves our humility, and, and, and um, um, when we, we recognize that God has power, when we recognize we don't have the power to be strong, we don't have the power to be united, we bow and worship you who can do that. Um, Paul recognizes that God is, God is great. Paul also recognizes that God is sovereign. Um, Jeremiah chapter 32 um, has this verse, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God, God's creation God's, um, is a testimony to how powerful, how, how much control, um, how his, his, his stature, 
his position over all things. God is Lord over all things. He is in control of all things, which means that God has all power over everything. Um, uh, Paul is, is recognizing that here when he says this phrase, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And sometimes we see these words, it's like, we, we, okay, we got father, and then we see this little phrase, it's like, okay, it's just something describing God, and we move on. But, but that, that little phrase says so much. Uh, first it says um, that God created all. Every, every family in heaven means um, in heaven the angelic realm, and then every family on earth means the earthly realm. That's everything that has been created God has created, and the word, the use of the um, word named means that God has assigned it its identity. It's not just given it a name. It's not like um, Derek. Yeah, I, I name you Derek. No, it's, it's, when he talks about name, he's like everything, every created thing, every family on earth, every person, every angel has been, God has such sovereignty and power over those people that he has given them their identity. Everybody and everything is what it is because of God. Um, he is sovereign. He has power over all things. So because God is great and because God is sovereign, God wants people to know it. God wants people to know these things about him. Um, he strengthens us, verse 16 says, according to the riches of his glory. Um, we've heard about God's view of his own glory before in Ephesus, back um, when we started in chapter 1. In verses 5 and 6, it, t it tells us he predestined us, his, his people, um, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. God is full of glory, and you hear that, we hear that word, and sometimes we don't grasp what that means. Um, a, a good working definition is the weightiness, the heaviness, and beauty um, of his, uh, of all the good things that he is. So his love and his patience, and his mercy, and his power, and his justice, and his wrath. All of, those, all of those things that make him great, it's just the weight and the beauty of how great he is. That's his glory. Um, God is full of that. Uh, basically, I, I think, just a very simple way, like it's, it's the wow of God. It's the thing, like, when you, um, like, you're out in a mountain range. We, we went on vacation, stepped out on that porch, saw um, these rolling hills just covered with beautiful trees, and then out in the distance, um, this just mountain just rising up, and you just go, wow. Um, that's God's glory. It's the wow. Um, uh, he, he's full of that. He, he, he is so great. He is so powerful. He is so good. Um, he shares his glory with us. We, uh, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are made good and made beautiful and made righteous and made great in him. He, he tells us that, that we're going to be lifted up, elevated, basically enthroned with him forever. Um, we are going to share in his glory. And because he shares his glory with us, he wants us to give it back to him, to share it back to him, to the praise and glory of his grace, as it said there uh, in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6. Because God desires the praise of his glory, he shares his glory far and wide. He wants to do that. Because there is nothing better, um, it's good for him to want everyone to know the best thing that there is. And he does want everyone to know it. Um, so from and for his glory, he gives the church strength so that it can show everyone and tell everyone um, and reach out to everyone to let them know how good and beautiful and righteous and great that God is. 
he gives us glory so we can give him glory and bring others to him who will also give him glory and receive his glory. His wow. That's, that, that's what he wants. That's what the church is here for. That's a pretty big deal. Wouldn't he, if that's what he wants, wouldn't he want to help the church do that in every way possible? Um, he, he strengthens the church. He wants to strengthen the church, and he does. All right, so we see that it is the church that is strengthened, and it is God who strengthens us. The next question is the how. How does God strengthen his church? Um, he, strengthens, he strengthens the church with power through the Holy Spirit. He strengthens the church with power and through the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being. Um, just a couple weeks ago, um, back earlier here in chapter 3, I talked uh, about the power of God and how the power of God enables us. And, and, and very similar things true here with power. Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, our initial becoming of his children was his power and not ours. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't choose to have Christ save us. Instead, God took a dead heart. Dead means dead. Dead doesn't mean, uh, God, I'm kind of struggling, but, but, but dead. He took a dead heart and sent his Holy Spirit in it, and he brought us to life by giving us the gift of faith. That's his power. Um, his power awakens the individual bricks that will be the church. Um, and it's not just that awakening. Um, the gospel is not just the introduction of the Christian life. It's the power of God working in us and strengthening us throughout life. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Christ did for us by taking our sin by giving his life for us, for, by being crucified for us, um, he did those things. And when we trust in that, um, his death becomes our death. Um, when he was crucified, if we are in him, we were crucified. Uh, crucified to our old identity, to our rebelliousness, um, defined by our sin, um, by our desires for ourselves. And we now live in the power of righteousness that he gives. That's what he gives us through the gospel. That is the power of salvation. The love Christ showed on the cross motivates us to love, gives us the power to love. The obedience that Je of Jesus to the Father by going to the cross motivates us, gives us the power, the strength to obey. The mercy God granted us at the cross um, through his forgiveness uh, motivates us to be merciful and forgiving to others. The gospel is the power um, that, that, that not only saves us, but guides us through life. And it, and it does that through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Um, the Spirit grows us. It transforms us to be the people God has called us to be. It empowers us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, um, which means Christ has, has dropped the veil of sin from us, and we see clearly now, um, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit, God himself, lives inside us. That's the word Paul uses in our inner being. You see that, you think mind, heart, soul, that whole package. When God says, love me with all these things, he's meaning, love me with everything you've got. That's what he means by inner being, everything you've got. Um, to fully bring out in our lives 
um, so that it can be seen, so that people can witness it. Um, what he's already done. He's made us righteous through the cross of Christ. He also now gives us his spirit, the power, so that everyone can see that that is a true thing, that we are new. And when I say uh, um, he makes us redeemed children, not a redeemed child and another redeemed child and another redeemed child, but he makes us redeemed children. Um, We are united into one family. Children, a father who has children, that's a family. He unites us into one family, one body, by God's Holy Spirit working in all of us. We're going to talk a little bit more here in a couple weeks in chapter 4 about how the Spirit um, works in the body like that. So I'll leave that um, for that sermon. But just trust me when I say God works in us through his Holy Spirit to draw us together uh, into a body. Through God's work in the gospel and the power of Spirit, God strengthens us, his church, for his purposes. Which brings us to the last point. What are his purposes? Um, what, is, what reason does God strengthen us? And the answer to that is so that we can live as one in Jesus. We are strengthened by God to live as one in Jesus. Verses 17 through 19 say this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There are three focuses here on what God is strengthening us for. First of all, we are strengthened for Christ to dwell in us through faith. Uh, For Christ to dwell in us through faith. Now, we fully believe and we fully confess that Christ dwells in us from the very first moment that we trust him. Um, When we first have faith, um, we we are saved. Um, The Spirit comes to live in us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. Um, That happens at that moment. That's not what this passage is talking about because Paul is talking to a bunch of people who have done that, who have have confessed Christ and who the Spirit has come and lived with him. So that's not exactly what he's praying for because that prayer has has essentially been answered in Ephesus. Um, So what's he praying for? What kind of faith is he talking about? He's not talking about just just a faith um, that saves, but a faith um, that, that... transforms, that remakes. Um, One commentator refers to this, um, to the faith referred in this passage as the controlling presence over our attitudes and conduct as we continually trust him. Another talks about it as it being like a home that Christ would dwell in. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 15 tells us about this kind of, um, this kind of attitude um, and conduct. For the love of Christ does what? It controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, that's us, um, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Um, from this passage, we see the more that we trust in Christ, the more that we follow him. And, and that just makes sense. You follow who you trust. That's kind of one way a big way of explaining why you trust somebody. If I'm, let's say I'm like, like on vacation in Egypt or something, and I've got to get through a portion of the desert, and I like, I, like a guy on vacation, he's got like the, the, you know, the sunscreen on his nose and the, and the blue socks up to here in the sandals, and he comes up like, well, I can get you through that desert, just follow me. Yeah, I'd go, I don't think you're qualified for that. I don't trust you with that. And then if another guy with like, you know, the, the robes and the turbans and like four camels comes up and says, I will get you across the desert. And you'd be like, I trust you. Um, you're, you're, you're clearly qualified. You follow who you trust. You, if, if, if you can't trust, you don't follow. 
Um, but we trust Christ, so we let him take over and we follow him. Um, the more we trust, the more we follow. And as we do that, we are all becoming like the same person. As we follow Jesus, we are all becoming more like Jesus. We can become one as a church because even though we're different and we come from different backgrounds and we have different opinions and ideas about things, we become one because um, God is replacing our desires for our glory, our desires for our own kingdoms and our own ways of living and our own ways of preferences with his. So even though we're all different, we are becoming the same in Christ. So the more we trust him, the more we become like him, and the more unified, the more like each other we become. Not that our, necessarily all of our opinions will change, our backgrounds won't change, our, our class may not change, our race won't change, but it doesn't matter because we are all becoming more like Christ. We are all becoming like one um, through, through that faith. Um, second um, thing that this focuses on is uh, for us to understand the greatness of God's love, to understand the greatness of God's love, and to show that love to others. The passage talks about having the strength to comprehend the, uh, the breadth and length and height and depth, all those things, you know, like the measurements. Um, and he talks about that, that it's a love that passes knowledge, which basically means here's everything I can know and think about, and it's beyond that. Um, it's, this phrase refers to how vast it is, how complete it is. Um, God's love is so big, it is so full, it is beyond anything that we can fully comprehend. It's beyond anything that we can fully understand. We, we, we can experience it, but we can't truly grasp it in all its goodness. Um, this same language about, about height and depth God uses to describe his love elsewhere in, in Romans chapter 8, for I am sure that neither depth nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's love for us is immeasurable. Using these words is to convey that it can't be measured at all. It, 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 it basically has no height, no depth, because you can't even measure it. It's too big um, to qualify. Um, for, for being measured. And he proves, he proved his love. He showed his love. He said, and this is how I prove it to you. While we were still sinners, while there was nothing lovable about us, Jesus Christ died for us. He died for us. Um, the Bible says that, well, maybe a good man would die for a friend or someone he loves. But who dies for someone who hates them? Um, that's what Jesus Christ did to prove his love. We, we seek strength, not that we're ever going to fully get it. We're never going to understand how great it is, but we can comprehend that it's true. We can comprehend that it's true that Jesus Christ loves us um, and, and that it's a love that, that we can get. We can, we can at least grasp it, and that's what God gives us strength for, to understand as you sit here today, Jesus loves you. He loves you thousands of times more than anyone else could love anything or anyone else. Um, I look at my wife and I look at my daughter. Jesus loves us a thousand times and beyond more than I could ever love them. Um, are you suffering here today? Jesus loves you. Um, do you have anxiety about life's circumstances? He loves you. Have you been rejected? He loves you. He loves you. And because he loves us 
so greatly. He loves us with a love we can't, we can't comprehend, but we can, we can trust. We are rooted and grounded in love and seek to comprehend it with all the saints. Because of this great love, we share love. We have love for each other. By this we know love, First John says, uh, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, um, but in deed and in truth. We love each other. We're called to love each other, to let our love be the thing that anchors us um, in this building, um, in, this, in this structure in which God's going to dwell. Um, so we do. So we do. In our church, what do we do? We, we spend time with each other. Um, if you love somebody, you spend time with them. Um, we live in community. We share meals. You, you're, we come into each other's houses. We, we don't separate ourselves from each other. Um, uh, we, um, we share our stuff. What I have, I give. Um, for, for, for each other's sake, uh, we, um, we, we gather together to study scripture. We gather together to fight sin together. Um, we laugh together and we cry together. We have tough conversations for the sake of friendships, for the sake of relationships. Why? Because we love each other. We're called to love each other with the love that Christ has, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not comfortable, even if it's not what we um, would prefer, or even when it's not the thing that would make our life easiest. We don't care. We love each other. We, and that is how we become one. We come by pursuing um, Christ's love for us with each other. The very last thing to be filled, last thing that Paul asked for, is for us to be strengthened so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. This is basically all of the other things we have mentioned, but just like more. Um, John MacArthur, uh, pastor, puts it like this. Um, he call, he's calling us to be so strong spiritually so compelled by divine love that we are totally dominated by the Lord with nothing left of ourselves. We cannot completely grasp the full extent of God's attributes and characteristics. We can't do his power, his majesty, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, or everything he is and does. But we can experience the greatness of God in our lives as a result of total devotion to him. As a church... We seek to live out as best we can, and we seek to urge each other and those around us um, to live out these traits of God in our lives. We seek wisdom. Um, we study. Um, we, um, we, we think deeply about things of God. We show love. We just talked about that. We extend mercy. Um, we are patient with each other um, and those around us. We respond to the world um, that can be tremendously unkind, with kindness. These are things that are completely beyond us. This is not things that our flesh and the world and Satan think are right, but instead they scream out against us that a life like that is impossible. And yes, um, as we try, we will fail hundreds or hundreds of times each day. But it, it is possible. It has to be. If it wasn't possible, Paul wouldn't have... have prayed to God, trusting that it was. So we should do the same. Even though it's hard to imagine an idea of total devotion, knowing our sinfulness, um, knowing our richness, but the, the more we appreciate our sinfulness, the bigger God gets, and the, and the bigger the price we know Christ paid, the, the bigger the calling we know that we have in him. We know that the strength is true because of what Jesus um, has done. Even though it's hard to imagine that, it's hard to fathom that, um, we pray for strength to understand it and to live in it. 
Let's pray for that kind of strength for ourselves. Let's pray for that kind of strength for each other. Let's pray knowing that we trust and we love and serve a God who is powerful enough and who loves us enough to want us to be strengthened by him so that we can all live as one in Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I, it is my prayer for this church that you strengthen us, that you strengthen us um, to live in faith, a, a faith that not only saves um, by allowing us to trust in you um, for our salvation, but a faith that trusts in you to allow us um, to follow you, um, to, lead, uh, to allow you to lead us into obedience um, and, and kindness and um, selflessness. I pray um, for this church, uh, for love, um, to understand how great your love is and to reflect back the love you give us to a world um, that needs it, to a body um, that you've given us um, to share it with. And I pray, Lord, that we would be full of you, that we would recognize the wow of you, your glory, um, live in the glory that you give us and reflect back to you humbly, gratefully, um, the, the, the glory do you, um, all because of what you've done through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you so much, and we praise this morning in your son's name. Amen.